Greetings, adventurer. Welcome to D20 Academy. I'm your host, Shiloh Kaneshiro, and today is episode 11, uh, the first Monster Monday, all about Mind Flayers. Alright guys, I'm really, really excited about today. Um, we're getting all into one of my favorite monsters ever, the Mind Flayer. Um, I have mentioned this before, that every Monday I want to be focusing on a different monster. Um, you know, go over just everything I can. Um, you know, give you a brief history of, like, the monster and revisions over, like, D&D history. Um, you know, the different editions of the game and such. I want to do a full breakdown of, like, the appearance and the abilities, um, without getting, you know, too bogged down into the, the rules and such. Uh, and, you know, like, numbers and modifiers and all that kind of thing. Uh, and then I want to go into describing, like, the monster's culture, personality, their history, you know, story-wise, um, well, you know, what kind of campaign settings we'll probably use them, what kind of environments they live in. Um, I want to, you know, talk about how to use them in your story, in your campaign, um, you know, to make, you know, exciting villains or to use the story hooks. Um, I'll share with you some of my personal experience, things like that. I want to be doing all that kind of thing here for these Monster Mondays. Um, for today's episode, um, the audio might be a little whack today, so I want to apologize for that. Uh, we just got some birds, um, two little budgies, so they may be uh, squawking away. You might hear them in the background. And uh, across the way, my older brother is um, making some music, so you may hear some of that bass or some of that kind of thing like that. So I want to apologize for that uh, up front, but hopefully uh, it doesn't, you know, the audio doesn't pick up too much of that stuff. But um, yeah, I'm really excited about this episode. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been wanting to do these kind of monster focusing things for, you know, ever since I started this podcast. Um, but I do also just want to real quick get into something um, that about this podcast. I probably won't be able to be uploading every weekday, as I said at the beginning. Um, I set that to myself just to, you know, I want to be able to be working hard and make sure, you know, making sure I'm doing something, keeping to a, a rigid schedule. I think it's pretty healthy. Um, but I didn't, you know, believe that it would totally last just uploading every single day. Um, and I don't think that will be the case anymore. Now that summer has started, I have a ton of different things I'm doing. I'm working on tons of different projects and things like that. So I won't be able to completely upload um, every single weekday as I want. Hopefully, my, my plan is to at least be three times a week. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, at least three times a week. Maybe not exactly on those days, but that's my plan. Um, I may, if I just have you know lots of work and I'm really busy... I may have to cut that down to two episodes a week or so. Um, or if I have extra time, I might be able to produce, um, you know, four or five episodes a week. But I just want to let you guys know, um, as my life is going to get a little more complex with the different projects and things, um, I won't be able to, you know, be uploading as often. But I still want to make these things as quality as possible. Um, it's just they take up too much time. I mean, this episode in itself, it's already taken me over an hour to do, you know, all the planning and research kind of thing. Uh, typically, it takes me about two hours every day to work on these episodes, you know, record them, uh, you know, do planning and researching beforehand, uh, you know, doing all the uploading and the art, not the, uh, you know, the logo art things and the descriptions and all that kind of thing. It, it takes a lot of work. Um, and, you know, it takes about two hours of my day. So I don't think I'll be able to be, be you know, be doing that Monday through Friday. 
but hopefully I'll still be able to upload, you know, about three times a week, give you guys still, you know, some of this really good content that I want to be producing, talking about the things that I want to be talking about, you know what I mean, helping you guys out uh, in any way I can. So just wanted to let you guys know about that before we continue. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited about today, uh, planning, researching, all that kind of stuff for this episode is really fun. Um, the monster we're talking about today uh, is one of my favorites ever. Um, one of the first ones I actually used, which I'll actually talk about at the end of the episode. But anyway, uh, let's just jump right in. Alright, so let's just get into things here, guys. Uh, I'm really excited about today. Uh, it's probably gonna be a long one, but a lot of good stuff. Um... So let's just start with kind of the brief history, um, or like the revisions of this monster through editions and such like that. Um, I really find it interesting to look back on the history of, you know, things of like how the game has changed over time, um, you know, all in the different editions, you know, how the rules have changed, how maybe monsters have changed or characters or classes, things like that. That's really interesting to me. Um, I really find this, 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 you know, the history of Dungeons and Dragons pretty interesting, um, and obviously the game hasn't been around for, you know, for so long. Um, you know, I believe, you know, it came out like, you know, early 70s. So it hasn't been around too long, but, you know, I, I just, I like always looking back on, you know, how things have changed over time, kind of seeing the birth of the things and, you know, what they are today. I find that really interesting. Um, so Mind Flayers, I mean, you may have heard of them, you may not have heard of them, um... I believe, actually, in the second season of Stranger Things, um, they like the big baddie, they call the Mind Flare, and I think they show a picture of it in the show or something, if you're familiar with that show. Um, but they're, they're pretty iconic uh, D&D monsters. They are completely original uh, from the game. They're not from any other kind of uh, fantasy uh, you know, content, not like orcs or hobbits, you know, things like that, which come from Tolkien. Um, but anywho... Yeah, uh, Mind Flayers are really, really interesting. Um, you might have seen a picture of them before. I'll get into what they look like in a second. But they were actually um, created um, in the mind of Gary Gygax. Uh, if you, I've talked about him before, if you don't know who he is. He's the creator of Dungeons & Dragons. Um, when he saw the original book cover uh, for the novel, for the sci-fi novel The, Burrows, the Burrowers Beneath by Titus Crow, um, he... If you haven't seen the cover, probably not. It's one of those, um, you know, kind of older sci-fi, fat, like, small books. Um, you know, with that awesome, you know, more retro sci-fi art. I love that kind of thing. Um, the art has, like, it's just the ground, and then bursting out of it are, like, these tendrils, these tentacles. Um, and if you kind of flip that, um, you know, vertically, it could look like, you know, the tentacles from a face, like or like an octopus. And I think he saw that and had the idea to put tentacles on a creature's face, um, which I will get to in a second. Um, but anywho, that's what he attributes the idea of the Mind Flayer from, uh, getting inspiration from that book cover art. Um, so the first appearance of the Mind Flayers were in uh, the Strategic Review number 1. Uh, that was the official TSR newsletter back in 1975. Um, if you don't know what TSR is, TSR is the company that Gary Gygax and a couple other people made. Um, uh, you know, that produced games, and Dungeons and & Dragons was a product of TSR. Um, TSR does not exist anymore, and Dungeons & Dragons um, was bought by Wizards of the Coast, and they manage it now, but 
Um, back when D&D was still managed by TSR, uh, they had a weekly newsletter uh, called the Strategic Review, and in the very first one, um, it featured the Mind Flayers. Um, and they were actually described very similar to how the creatures still are today. Uh, they actually have not changed much over history. Um, I think just because they're just so cool, um, even from the start, they've been really, really interesting. And, you know, not much changes have needed to be made. Um, anywho, they got an actual stat block in AD&D 1st Edition, uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 1st Edition Monster Manual back in 1977. And they appeared thereafter in every single Monster Manual, every edition. Um... So, 1st edition, 2nd edition, 3rd, 3.5, 4th, 5th. Um, and actually, AD&D 2nd edition also started to create variants of Mind Flayers, like variant Mind Flayers, a trend which still continues even in the 5th edition that we play today. And I will get into more into the variants uh, later on in this episode. But anywho, that's kind of a, a history of the Mind Flayers. They have been there from the very beginning, and they haven't actually changed much. Um, but yeah, so I'll kind of get into a Mind Flayer if you're not completely uh, sure what they are. So they are purple, blue, or gray-skinned humanoids. Um, I'm not sure, like, I think they stand between, like, five and six feet tall, typically. So they look like humans, um, but they have kind of this mottled, you know, slimy skin. Um, you know, this kind of purple, blue, or gray skin. And their head is kind of like an octopus. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, at the top of their head is very kind of bulbous, like an octopus, and have two eyes where the eyes are. But then where the mouth is, it splits into four tentacles. And then uh, underneath that, instead of a beak as a mouth, they have more of a mouth similar to that of a tapeworm. You know, circular, kind of ringed with teeth, uh, like a uh, lamprey. And mind flayers are really, really cool, uh, really interesting. What they do is they feed off the brains of living creatures. Uh, they use their tentacles to hold in place and extract the brains of victims for consumption. Um, their eyes are white, like completely white. And they can see perfectly in darkness and light. And, you know, they're kind of covered in mucus, slimy, and they're sunlight sensitive. Apart from their really cool, like, interesting octopus head, they're, you know, which is pretty similar to a regular humanoid. They have two arms, two legs, you know, fingers. You know, they're a little more bony and skinny than, say, a human. Um, but basically, their, their physique is quite similar. Except, of course, for their octopus head. Um, their creature type uh, is Apparition. Um, aberration is a really interesting creature type in D&D. Um, you know, it's very different from any other creature type, you know, like monstrosities or elementals or celestials or fiends, right? Those are all things that are, you know, pretty known in pop culture and, you know, they're seen everywhere. Um, but aberrations are really, you know, most of, like, the iconic Dungeons & Dragons monsters are aberrations. They're, like, these alien-like... Um, sometimes even like Lovecraftian kind of creatures um, that are all originally from D&D. Um, but an aberration is, yeah, some kind of like alien, foreign, uh, you know, Cthulhu kind of like creatures. Uh, it's a really, really cool creature type. Like basically every, every aberration is really interesting. Um, and so you'll, I'll probably be talking more about aberrations in different Monster Mondays because um, they're just so interesting and so cool. Uh, but anywho, a mind flare, uh, that's kind of their appearance. Now, uh, as a people, uh, they are like psionic, tyrants, slavers, interdimensional voyagers. They are hyper-intelligent masterminds, uh, and they look to like enslave entire races or civilizations for their own evil intentions. Um, they 
you know, they, they work together in groups, uh, you know, in like their own civilizations, and they travel throughout the plains, uh, taking over other races of creatures, enslaving them, uh, and they're very, very, very intelligent, uh, and their abilities are very psionic, very psychic, uh, which is really cool, and I'll get into those a little bit later. Um, that's kind of the basis of what mind players are, but their like their history, like their culture and like history, that kind of thing, has changed and differed between edition and campaign setting. Um, so obviously, like I've talked about before, depending on your campaign setting and things, races and monsters and all these different kind of things will be different. Um, you know, in maybe this world, elves all live underground, but in this other world that you might play in your campaign in. Um, Elves only live in the forest and things. You know what I mean? Um, so same with Mind Flayers, same with basically everything. Depending on your campaign setting, um, they may have different origins. They may be a little different. But I'll give you kind of the, the history and stuff they provide in the 5th edition material, um, which is basically just for the Forgotten Realms um, campaign setting. But it, it's, it's kind of basic enough that you can use them in really any campaign setting. Um, so I'll give you the rundown of what they have written down in the 5th edition material, uh, and then get into some of the other histories found in other editions and things like that. Okay, so long ago, uh, the Illithids had this massive empire. Uh, they, you know, enslaved hundreds of civilizations and races all over the multiverse. Um, they travel the plains using astral ships called nautiloids, uh, kind of these huge tentacled nautilus-looking creatures that, you know, that they'd ride in, and that could travel between the planes. Uh, and they just overtook, uh, you know, entire civilizations of people. They were by far the most dominant force among the inner planes. Um, they also heavily relied on a slave race called the Gith for physical labor and sustenance. Um, like I mentioned before, and I'll get into a little bit later, how they, you know, feed off of brains. Um, and they're also not very physically able. They're quite bony and weak physically, so they require slaves. Um... And, you know, thralls to be able to do some work for them. So they relied heavily on this this particular race called the Gith. Um, but eventually the Gith actually revolted and they overtook the Mind Flayers. Um, though it is not mentioned really how, um, it's kind of left up in the air. If maybe the Mind Flayers just kind of got, you know, too relaxed uh, and let their guard down. Or maybe the Gith had some sort of secret plan or secret weapon. Anywho, the Gith revolted against and overtook the Mind Flayers, and in, uh, uh, like, a, the course of a year, just completely obliterated all the Mind Flayers monuments, everything they'd built, hunted down all the colonies of Mind Flayers. Um, the Gith, I may actually get into them in a future Monster Monday, they're really, really interesting. Um, they actually have split into two different factions, the Gith Yankee and the Gith, Gith Zerai. Um, but anywho, they spent their time hunting down the what, you know, what remains of Illithid civilization and destroying it. And, they're, you know, they're still doing it to this day. So these once great masterminds, these once great mind flayers, uh, were made fugitives, just like that in the blink of an eye. And so nowadays, like when you're playing your campaign, they are now very, you know, rare to find, and they hide themselves away in the deepest caverns of the Underdark. Um, so in 5th edition, that's kind of the history that's been given to them um, in the different books that they've released. But they have had all different kinds of origins and things. Um, from other editions and campaign settings, so, uh, you know, if you kind of want to play off of these in your campaign, I think I think some of these are really cool. In the second and fourth edition of the game, uh, the Illithids originate... Oh, Illithid, I don't know if I've mentioned this before. The Illithids is, like, the scientific name of the Mind Flayer in the game. 
Um, so the Illithids originate from the Far Realm, um, just this mysterious plane called the Far Realm where no one really knows what's, uh, you know, what it's about. Um, but, you know, I think that maybe in your campaign that might be a really interesting place, uh, you know, a cool environment or setting to go, you know, discover what the home realm of the Mind Flayers are, the f this Far Realm place. Um, in 3.5, this is the, this is really, really cool. Um, Mind Flayers are said to have come from the future, where they're about to face annihilation, and so they travel back in time. Um, and so that's why they're in the present, because they are a race from the future that are about to die, so they've traveled back in time. That is really, really interesting. I'll get into this a little later in the episode, but um, I think that's that's a really cool or, or like origin and history of Mind Flayers. That makes them really alien and really scary. Um, uh, there's also, long ago, an official D&D campaign setting called Spelljammer, which was like fantastical sci-fi. Uh, and in that, the Illithids were once humans who had migrated underground and they like mutated into these aberrations with psionic abilities. Um, you know, from the effects of like the underground and some magic down there. So uh, those are some, all these different kind of origins that they've been given in history, they've been given in different editions. Um, the most information that I can find is for like the fifth edition one about the gith revolting and all that kind of thing. Um, but depending on what you're playing, uh, you know, you can use any one of these or, you know, kind of mix and match. And uh, the Mind Flayer's use in campaign and storyline and stuff, I will get into later on in the episode. But I just kind of wanted to give you a rundown of that. Um, okay, so next we're going to move on to kind of their cultural, like their culture and their society. So the Mind Flayer's primary, like, environment and biome that they live in uh, is the Underdark. Um, if you're not sure what the Underdark is, it's the, uh, it's basically what D&D calls, like, very deep underground um, you know, where all these kind of scary monsters live, and there's tunnels and caverns and, you know, ancient civilizations and things like that. Uh, the Underdark is pretty unique to D&D. Um, they have a lot of information about it, like, tons of tons of monsters come are in the Underdark. Um, there's tons of, like, storylines and modules based off of the Underdark. Uh, it's a really, really cool environment and biome. And Mind Flayers are primarily... Uh, down there, because um, that's where they can like hide away and start building up their empires once again, you know, hiding away from the Gith who are trying to hunt them down and slowly start rebuilding. Um, so you know, here in the Underdark, they dwell in tunnels and caverns. Uh, you know, they need to be able to near, you know, be near to other creatures that they can enslave or use for food. Um, but you know, also hidden away so they can't be easily found. Uh, Mind flayers live in colonies and are much like ants and that they all answer to a hive lord, or like a queen. And in the Mind Flayer's case, this is the Elder Brain. The Elder Brain is a massive tentacled brain, and it's the hub, uh, it's the overlord of the entire colony. Um, so due to the Mind Flayer's uh, unique, like, psionic abilities, they can communicate telepathically. Um, and so because of this, like, a colony of forms, like, the colony forms a sort of information network with the Elder Brain at the center. So that what this means is that any time a Mind Flayer in the colony learns something, the entire colony learns of it as well. And so they all kind of rely on this collective library of memory and knowledge. Um, that is just, I find that really, really interesting, really, really cool. Um, yeah, the Mind, the, the, the mind Flayers are just so, so cool. Um, basically, the Elder Brain, as the Hive Lord of these colonies, um, you know, much like an Ant Queen, like, it needs to be protected or else the whole colony falls apart. Um... And so it is, you know, kind of this 
arrogant, power-hungry overlord um, that, you know, cares both for expansion and growth, but, you know, also survival and, you know, being very wary of hunters and things like that. Um, the Elder Brain Reach is, not, is also, like, not infinite, and it's possible for a Mind Flayer to get out of range um, of this, you know, this, this, in, like, this hub network. That doesn't typically happen because, though each Mind Flayer is unique and has their own personality and things, um, they all obey the Elder Brain, and, you know, they all, you know, they all work together and have similar thinking and similar ideals and such because they all share information and memory. Um, so, uh, Elder Brain probably won't send a Mind Flayer out of the colony too often, like, it's pr probably a really rare occurrence, but if one does get out of the range, uh, they become disconnected from the psionic network, um, and, you know, they technically become independent. But once they move back in range, they'll get connected back in. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how the colony works. Uh, and, of course, they build, like, these empires and things in the Underdark using slaves and thralls um, to, you know, maybe carve out caves and tunnels. And, um, you know, because the Mind Flayers are not physically adept, um, they have to use slaves and, you know, beings that they've overtaken to do their bidding. Um, that's, yeah, the Underdark is also a good area for them. It's because lots of the monsters and beings down there um, you know, don't have the highest intelligence or wisdom, and so it can be pretty easily broken uh, mentally by the Mind Flayers and be overtaken by them. Um, because the Mind Flayers, like, psionic capabilities, you know, they can kind of break and overcome the, the minds of other creatures and then turn them into their slaves. Um, so, also, there is uh, something called, I don't know how to pronounce it, like an Ulithrid, I assume? Um, this is a very rare arrival in a colony. It's a mind flayer who's just very powerful and, like, independent. Um, they are not... They don't have to obey the Elder Brain. Um, they grow up very powerful already, innately strong and independent. And there's kind of rival power between this Ulithrid and the Elder Brain can cause some tension and aggression. Um, but typically there is no infighting. Because what this Ulithrid means um, is that eventually... It will take a portion of the colony and go out and establish a new colony. And the Ulithrid will transform itself into another Elder Brain. So the Ulithrid typically doesn't want to usurp, you know, the brain of the colony that's born into. Um, because, you know, it doesn't, it's not trying to overtake and, like, become the next ruler. Because it, it will eventually be able to go off and become its own ruler. And the Elder Brain, in turn, understands that, yes, this little thread is quite powerful and kind of challenges my power, but, you know, it's good for the Mind Flayers to be able to, you know, progress and grow. And so this requires new colonies to sprout. So, you know, even though there's some tension for the time that little thread is in the colony, there's, you know, not too, it, you know, isn't too bad, typically. Um, okay, so also, I also find this really cool. Um, mind flayers, they typically, you know, communicate telepathically. And this is really helpful because, it, you know, it transcends language, so they can not only talk to each other, but also foreigners, um, because telepathy, you know, emits, you know, emotions and thoughts, so you don't really have to understand the same language to be able to communicate telepathically. Um, so they can, you know, all mind flayers can communicate telepathically, and they have, um... 
you know, all that information and stuff is also stored in the elder brain. So all the history, everything that they've learned in that colony is stored in the elder brain. So there's really no need for a written word when it comes to, you know, recording history and tradition and things like that. And there's really no need um, for a certain language to be produced because they can just all communicate telepathically anyway, and there's no need for a language in that case. Um, however, they do have a written language of sorts called Quaileth. Um, and it's a psionic in inscription of thoughts and ideas imprinted onto non-living matter by the creature's tentacles. So they'll transmit a thought or emotion or message uh, through their tentacles and like imprint it onto non-magical, non-living matter, you know, like stone or uh, something like that. And any other illithid who comes by and touches the area with their tentacles can receive the message written there. And um, any other races, who, you know, any other creature who isn't a mind flayer, if they discover these quillith inscriptions, um, though they can't decipher the cryptic language, uh, no one's been able to, you know, decipher this language, um, touching it can give them a sort of mood or feel of what the message is about um, because it's, you know, made of psionic energy. Um, but this, you know, it's very hard for other races to find Quillith because it's imperceptible. You can't see it on the surface, um, but mind flayers can sense it and then move over to it and, you know, gain the message from their tentacles. But other races can't see it. It's not, like, obviously inscribed on any other surface. So it's pretty rare to, you know, find one to come across one. Um, and also this language, it can get ruined, the message can get skewed and destroyed if the matter, like, the surface it's on is destroyed or ruined. Um, so yeah, that's something that's really cool. I really think that that's, that's a really interesting idea, uh, really creative. I, I love, I love this, like, Quaileth language thing. I think it's really interesting. Um, anyway, so, um, they do reproduce, uh, kind of in an interesting way. So, the reproduction process of mind flayers is called ceramorphosis. Um, so in a colony, there should be a, there will be a breeding pool, and mind flayers lay eggs into this breeding pool, which hatch into, like, these tadpole creatures. Um, they look kind of like, uh, tentacled tadpoles with, like, a, you know, that big ring of teeth. Um, anywho, these tadpoles don't grow into mind flayers, actually. Uh, there's a certain process that will turn them into mind flayers, which we'll get into in a second. Um, but if this process is not done, this tadpole isn't turned into a, another mind flayer soon, uh, it is just devoured by the elder brain or something like that and absorbed into that consciousness. Oh, real quick tangent that I forgot to mention. When a mind flayer is, you know, grievously injured or elderly or about to die, essentially, they get absorbed. If they're nearby, they can get, like, absorbed into the elder brain and their consciousness and memory is transmitted into the entire hub system. And so kind of in that way, mind flayers kind of have Im in immortality of sorts because their life keeps on going within the memory of the, you know, the hub of information within the elder brain. Okay, so how does ceramorphosis work? How do you create a new mind flare? Well, um, you have to capture some sort of creature uh, and, you know, break its mind with all the psionic pressure, um, you know, the psionic abilities of the mind flares. So let's say, you know, they, they have a human slave, they take it, they just completely break its will, its mind, uh, make it, you know, some kind of mindless vegetable that they can order around. They get one of these, these servants, one of these creatures that they've done this to, and insert the tadpole through the nose or ear cavity to the brain. And as this tadpole grows, it devours the brain and then attaches itself to the brainstem. 
and the tadpole itself becomes the creature's new brain. And then over a week, the, the humanoid transforms into a new mind flayer. Um, you know, physically mature, but mentally young, because they just got a new brain. Um, so that is super interesting process. Uh, it's a really cool idea, really creative concept. No idea how they came up with that. Um, but I just find, you know, it's not super relevant to story or, or anything like that, or combat. It's probably not going to come up very often in your campaign. But I just thought that was, you know, that's something that's, that, that's like a really cool concept, a really cool idea that, uh, you know, they invented. Uh, oh, speaking of brains. Um, so I mentioned before that they eat brains. And, and there is some sort of physical sustenance gained by eating the brain matter. Um, but the majority of the reason uh, that they do this is because of the mental sustenance. They feed off the psionic energy of the brain. Um, there's a lot of like mental activity that occurs right before a creature's brain is consumed, right in the last moments of life. And they kind of feed off of this energy, this psionic energy. And um, I think that's really interesting too. Like, you know, they, they, they gain sustenance from intellect and from activity in the mind rather than, you know, actual physical substance. The kindness of creature they eat and the level of intelligence of the creatures they consume uh, doesn't really change the level of intelligence in a colony. Um, so a, you know, a colony of mind flayers that, you know, their primary source of brains is from a, you know, a race of, I don't know, Nothics, I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of some kind of monster that, you know, would be kind of known. You know, that's not a kind of an obscure D&D monster. Um, like a, uh, what are those called? Grimlocks, um, which are just kind of really dumb, blind, um, like gray humanoids who I think like developed from Duergar or something, which are dark dwarves. Um, but anywho, like, feeding off of the mental energy, the, the brains of, some, like, a dumber creature rather than, like, elves, uh, doesn't really change the level of intelligence of the colony. But it does make this strange phenomenon occur where, like, um, that colony that's, like, eating the brains of, like, high elves, they'll, like, dress really pompously and, like, you know, take more care about, you know, the way they look and things like that. You know, it's, it's like, strange phenomenons kind of like this just occur depending on what they eat. They'll kind of gain some sort of mannerism or trait of, you know, their main food source. Um, so that, that that's kind of cool as well. Okay, so now uh, let's get into, like, kind of the variants that I was talking about earlier. Okay, so seromorphosis uh, is primarily used on humans, uh, sorry, humanoids, who are similar in size and physique to mind flayers, right? So things like humans, elves, orcs, gith, um, you know, the seromorphosis on these creatures will tip, you know, will turn them into new mind flayers. Um, so these are, you know, typically all the same when it comes to abilities and such. Um, so, you know, using seromorphosis on a human and an elf, they'll both be very similar, you know, when it comes to how they look physically and also like their abilities. They're all just mind flayers. Um, but there are two of these kind of humanoid variants that can occur, um, both of which are actually in fifth edition material. Um, I believe in Volo's Guide to Monsters, which is one of the books they, they released. They have stat blocks and descriptions. Um, so one of these is, of course, the Ulithrid that I mentioned before, this kind of powerful, independent mind flayer that becomes an elder brain later in life. Um, and then the other is an Alhoon, which is an arcane magic searching, like, lich uh, 
Mind Flayer. So, Mind Flayers, you know, they, they're like, all their magic and kind of, magic in a sense, like their magical abilities come from their psionic power. Um, and they despise divine magic. So, like, uh, divine magic and they, you know, are kind of torn when it comes to, like, arcane magic. Right? So, divine magic is, you know, power gifted to you by, like, gods or deities or faith. Right? So, that's, like, the kind of magic that clerics, paladins, things like that use. Um, whereas arcane magic is, you know, that, that is learned, um, like a wizard, right, with spell books. Um, so, mind flayers don't really like either divine or arcane magic. Um, anyone who kind of, like, practices them is kind of looked down upon in society or killed. Um, because they just rely on, like, the psionic spellcasting they have. But an Alhoon is a mind flayer who has uh, delved deep into arcane magic research. Um, so they are very powerful spellcasters, and they've even, like, turned themselves into a lich of sorts. Uh, if you're not sure what, a, sure what a lich is, I guarantee you it will come up in a Monster Monday, uh, soon. Uh, they're very, very iconic. It's basically, like, a very powerful undead wizard. Um, so that's kind of what an Alhoon is. Um, they are usually also, like, outcast by society because, you know, searching for arcane magic and things like that is forbidden. Um, or looked down upon. So Alhoons are pretty rare and will not be found inside a colony. But those are the two kind of humanoid variants of Mind Flayers, other than just the basic Mind Flayer, uh, that can be found. But there are even more variants, uh, because that's what happens when you ask the question, what if Ceramorphosis is used on something that's not a humanoid? Right? Some kind of different monsters. And that creates new creatures altogether. Um, there are tons of these creatures that have been featured in different monster manuals and such over editions. Um, really, really interesting you know, concept, and of course, if you, you know, can't find any stat blocks or whatever, but, like, you find a monster that you really love, and you're like, okay, what if Ceramorphosis was, per like, you know, was used on this creature? What would it turn into? Uh, that can be really cool, you know, you can make a, your own monster that way. But in 5th edition, um, there are only two different kind of variants of these kind of creatures that have been given stat blocks. Um, so one of them is called a Mind Witness. So this is what happens when you Use, you perform Ceramorphosis on a Beholder. Um, I 100% guarantee you I'll be going into Beholders on a Monster Monday sometime soon. Beholders are very iconic D&D monsters. Um, but if you don't know what they are, that's, that's totally fine. Uh, but a Mind Witness is basically like a illithid version of a Beholder. Um, the other kind of creature variant is called a Neothalid. Not sure to pronounce that, but... Um, this is not actually a variant that's used from Ceramorphosis on a different creature, but uh, it actually occurs rarely um, when a colony is torn apart because the Elder Brain has been destroyed or killed. Um, a colon you know, the colony goes into collapse. And in the breeding pool, where all these, tadpool these, all these tadpoles live, um, you know, typically they're either taken from the pool and inserted into you know, another creature in Ceramorphosis to produce you know, another Mind Flayer. Or they're eaten by the Elder Brain. So, as the colony collapse, uh, there's, you know, nothing is happening to the breeding pool. So these tadpoles are growing and growing. And eventually they just start eating each other. And it kind of becomes a survival of the fittest thing. And the last surviving tadpole um, becomes a neothelid, like a massive, you know, serpentine kind of creature. Um, with tentacles and, you know, that, that circular, you know, toothed maw. And, uh, you know, it's also consumed the mind of another different sentient creature, maybe like a humanoid or a slave. Um, so it also has a sort of sentience. 
Um, and this creature probably like goes out on its own. Um, you know, just just a danger in the Underdark. So that's what a Neothlid is. Um, so Neothlid and Mind Witness, they actually have stat blocks in 5th edition material. But there are other variants from older editions. You know, other creatures that kind of had Ceramorphosis used on them and things like that. Um, these creatures don't have stat blocks as of yet for 5th edition. But you may be able to find some online or, you know, even create them yourself. So one of the coolest ones of these is the Brain Stealer Dragon. So this is what happens when you use Ceramorphosis on a dragon. This is, you know, really interesting. I think that's a really cool concept. And I'm just straight up thinking, like, Cthulhu. You know what I mean? They probably look something like Cthulhu. Um, but not much is really given about them in the older editions and where this, this Brain Stealer Dragon creature has appeared. Um, but it's described as kind of being a pseudo-elder brain if there's a colony that's lost one. It can kind of still act as a leader in that area. Um, there's a Sekondi, I believe. I don't know how it's pronounced. Um, that's when you do Ceramorphosis on a lizard folk. Uh, a lizard folk is basically just like a lizard humanoid creature. They're kind of a tribal uh, race of monsters. Um, and Sekondi, if you you know you use Ceramorphosis on a lizard folk, they can kind of become these mind flayers who are much more stocky, physically strong, and things like that. So they'll probably use just more like personal guards and, uh, you know, things like that in, in, a, in a colony just because they, they make up for what Mind Flayers lack in physical, um, you know, physicality. There's also Uchulun, um, which is when Ceramorphosis is used on a Chul. Um, a Chul is kind of like a, uh, a big lobster creature found in the Underdark. Uh, kind of, you know, has the chitinous armor and two pincers and things like that. And so when you do Ceramorphosis on a Chul, it becomes a new Chulon, and these are kind of used as hunters, guardians in a colony. And another one is Europhion. Uh, once again, I don't know how to pronounce these things. I don't know if anyone does. Um, but that's when you use Ceramorphosis on a Roper. Uh, if you're not sure what a Roper is, it's a really cool, uh, interesting D&D monster. It looks like a stalagmite, um, but when creatures get close, it opens up its one big eye and its massive maw. And it unleashes these tentacles, which wrap around a nearby, you know, cave creatures and drags them into to its mouth. So when Ceramorphosis is using a roper, um, it becomes, you know, hyper-intelligent, more psionic using a creature. And this is kind of uses, you know, guards and sentries for colonies. Um, but that's some of the variants that have appeared over time. Like I said before, uh, you know, if you kind of want to create your own kind of monsters... You know, what if Ceramorphosis was used on this kind of monster? Um, I think that's really cool, and, you know, that could be really fun. Okay, now we're going to get sort of into the nitty-gritty sort of things, the stats of Mind Flayers and things like that. All right, so talking about the basic Mind Flayer, uh, not any of the variants we're talking about, you know, the, the basic Mind Flayer. Um, they are medium-sized, right? So they're medium humanoids, they're aberrations. Um, their alignment is typically lawful evil. Uh, if you don't, really know what that means or you don't really know what alignment is um last episode was all about that um so go check that one out if you haven't that was that, that was a lot of fun to make um anyway they have a challenge rating of seven um i may talk about challenge rating later but like it's kind of you know a way to gauge their power level and what kind of you know how well they will fare against a you know your players um but seven is you know pretty powerful that means they can you know kind of face off against a level of like a party of, like, level 5 characters or so. Um, so they have low strength, dexterity, and constitution. You know, very physically weak. 
um, but they do have high wisdom, high charisma, and of course, a very high intelligence. Um, they have resistance to magic spells, uh, and they also have a couple simple spells that they can cast uh, psionically. Um, but these spells are just kind of used for utility rather than combat, so, um, you know, being able to levitate or teleport, um, you know, not anything like fireball or things like that. Um, so they're, they have kind of two methods of attacking. Um, one is an ability that they have to recharge, um, but it is a mind blast, so they send out this wave of psionic energy, and it harms and kind of stuns opponents. Uh, this can be used because, you know, it can be used for long range, uh, it's an area effect, so it can affect multiple creatures. And mind flayers typically use this when they're kind of in a tight spot. They need to be able to stun opponents so that they can run away. Um, I'll get into tactics here in a, a bit of a you know in a second. But that's kind of one avenue they may go in combat is this mind blast attack. And another is to use their tentacles, and then to extract the brain. So these are two different attacks. The first one it requires them to wrap around uh, an, a creature with their tentacles and hold them right, grapple them close. Uh, and then the second attack, once they've grappled someone, is to attempt to extract the brain out of their head. Um, you know, and maybe even kill someone. So, this can be a really powerful attack, but it requires them to be, you know, engaged with the creature. They have to be in melee range. Um, so their battle style, their their tactics in battle, is kind of that of a, as a leader or a spellcaster. So, they're very squishy, you know, do not have a high armor class or high health. So they tend to be in the back... Um, not not at the front lines at all, um, and they you know want to keep opponents at bay with minions that they have slave thralls things like that, who are more physically strong, um, because if you know like a barbarian or a weapon wielder comes up to a mind flayer and starts hitting them you know with swords and stuff, it can go really downhill for a mind flayer really fast just because they're they're quite weak. So because of that, they like to stay back you know order their monsters. Be more of a mastermind uh, in a battle. Um, they're very, very... Like, mind flayers just in general are just always very wary of their surroundings and being, you know, attacked at any moment, ambushed. So, they, like, always have minions and guards around them um, and, you know, are always trying to make sure they're in a safe p position. Uh, and, of course, they... You know, the main kind of creature like this is the Elder Brain. The Elder Brain cares most about its own survival, and, you know, we'll always try to make sure it's in the safest place possible. Um, uh, my players are also, you know, they're very intelligent. They're very smart. If they can see that they'll not win a battle, um, they'll probably try to get out of there and save themselves. Um, they won't keep fighting until, you know, either side wins. Typically, if, you know, because they're so intelligent, they'll be able to read how a battle's going and then determine whether it's, you know, smarter to continue attacking or to pull back. Um, so they won't usually risk their life in a situation, unless, of course, it is to save the Elder Brain. I mean, that's kind of some basic stats and, you know, things. I'm, I don't want to get into, like, the nitty-gritty of the numbers and their stat block. Um, if you want to see it, you, you can go find it in a monster manual. Um, but that's kind of the basic stats of a, a Mind Flayer. Um, so we can just jump into the next, like, the, the final part of this uh, episode, which is how to use these things in your story, in your campaign. Um, so let's just get right into that. Alright, so um, because I don't want this episode to go way too long, and also because uh, I recorded my phone and it's losing battery pretty quickly, I'm not going to go too long or too detailed on this. Um, but I do want to talk about you know the use of Mind Flayers uh, in, in your campaign and how you can use them in your story. 
Okay, so the number one thing I want to talk about uh, first off is using them as BBEGs. If you don't know what a BBEG is, it stands for Big Bad Evil Guy, um, which means in stories, right, or, in, or if you're playing D&D in your campaign, the main, main villain, right, the, the villain who is in there for, like, the whole campaign, the main monster, the main person you're trying to defeat. Um, most campaigns have a BBEG. Um, Mind Flayers make perfect BBEGs. Um, they are, like, built for that. Um, because they are masterminds, um, you know, they're very intelligent, uh, they're very cunning, um, they build, you know, they build kind of empires, they build protection, um, they have minions that maybe the party will face off, uh, in the earlier levels, and, um, you know, it will take a while for the party to, like, maybe even come up, you know, and meet the, this BBEG, this Mind Flayer villain, uh, face-to-face, um, just because, you know, the Mind Flayer is so powerful and can, you know, build this protection, uh, you know, have all these minions and things like that. Um, just, they are perfect, like, they're very smart uh, because, you know, they're more lawful, like, you know, they're lawful evil. They have, like, methodical strategies and stuff of, like, overtaking the innocent and enslaving people. And, you know, they just make the perfect villain. Uh, whether or not it's, a single, like, Mind Flayer, or, you know, the Elder Brain itself. Um, the Mind Flayers, just their whole concept, like, them, the Colony, the Elder Brain, they just make perfect, uh, like, main villains. Um, I think there's a ton of things you can do with them as, as the main villains of a campaign. Um, you know, whether it be, like, they're starting to take over the world, um, they're starting to expand their reach, gain slaves, things like that, and the party... Uh, has to fight back against them, you know, go and defeat the Elder Brain and destroy the entire the entire army. Um, or maybe they, you know, you're playing in a campaign where the world has already been taken over by Mind Flayers, and your party has starts as slaves, right? And they're trying to revolt, just like how the Gith did. Um, whatever it is, just Mind Flayers are just perfect uh, villains. Uh, I don't think that they should or can be used, like, as kind of, like, throw-off, throw-away encounters and things like that. Um, basically, like, what that means is, you know, if your players are adventuring through a certain environment, you may just throw an encounter at them, maybe for a couple reasons, just to get them familiar with the environment and the monsters that live there, or to, you know, make the game exciting again if it's been, you know, kind of been bogging down in role-playing and stuff like that. Um... But I don't think mind flayers are really, really good for that. They're not, you know, they're they're not that good in combat, to be honest. Um, they're not super strong, and it's hard to play like a lot of mind flayers at the same time in combat. Um, you know, there's kind of a lot to keep track of. Um, so for like kind of just a throwaway encounter, I don't think they're very good for that. Um, they can kind of be defeated, you know, sort of easily depending on how you play them. Um, but I think they just, they are meant much more for being the BBEG or more of like a minor villain, uh, in a campaign. Um, instead of just, you know, just thrown at the party just for an encounter. Uh, also, uh, they can have like personal ties to the players, you know, give the players, the, the party like, you know, personal reasons to go out and destroy them or face, you know, face off. 
Um, mind flayers, you know, they've, they've built their civilizations on the backs of slaves. So, you know, maybe the party, you know, maybe some of them were once slaves or people they love have been taken captive and they want to go save them. Uh, maybe some of the party members are gith, right? And they want to right the wrongs that the mind flayers did to their ancestors. Um, maybe even something to do with seramorphosis, right? A player, you know, maybe one of the PCs, his older brother was, you know, transformed into a mind flayer by seramorphosis after he was taken captive. And, you know, now his brother wants to come kill him because he's a mind flayer now. And so he wants to go out and destroy the mind flayers for what they've done to him. You know, anything like that. I think mind flayers also can have, you know, you can create cool stories and have them connect to PCs in a meaningful way. Um, definitely if they're the main villain to make, you know, confrontation and things like that uh, more meaningful. Uh, mind flayers are also a cool way to draw players into the Underdark. Like I mentioned before, the Underdark is a really unique environment uh, for D&D. There's tons and tons of really cool monsters D&D has for the Underdark. Uh, so many cool encounters, like environments uh, that, you, that are in the Underdark, you know, pits of lava, waterfalls, floating islands, you know, all this kind of crazy environments you can have in the Underdark, all these really cool, interesting monsters. And Mind Flayers can be a reason for them to go into the Underdark, right? To eliminate a, a growing colony or to find a, you know, a renegade Alhoon or something like that. Um, as a plot hook to draw players into the Underdark. And once they're in the Underdark, you can start, you know, showing off all the cool things. Uh, cool monsters, cool environments, things like that. Um, yeah, just the Underdark is a great, great environment, great biome for exploration, battle. Um, so Mind Flayers can also be a meaningful way to, as, you know, to be used as story hooks to draw players down there. Um, so here are just some ideas I had as I was, you know, just kind of thinking about these, doing some research on them, planning for this episode. Um, maybe, like, in an original campaign setting, you know, if you're DMing, like, you've built the world, or, you know, I mean, honestly, like with D&D, right, you can take any campaign setting and make it your own, it doesn't matter. Um, but maybe change Mind Flayers a bit to be, you know, non-sunlight sensitive, and they have, like, an empire, um, like a civilization above ground where, like, the Elder Brain rules in a fortress. Um, excuse me. Um, I think that could be really cool. Instead of having them kind of hold up underground more as, like, fugitives, hidden away, have them become, have them be, like, you know, a threatening, like, superpower, um, like, civilization. That could be really cool. Um, also playing around with the Nautiloids, playing around with their astral ships, seeing, around, seeing what you could do with that, um, their planar travel. Um, I think like a planar traveling, like massive tentacled ship creature. That's a really cool uh, place for an encounter. Uh, like, I would love to run a fight there. Um, that could be, you know, really, really cool. It's a really cool environment. And also, depending on, you know, kind of what you've done with the Mind Flayers and their origin in your world, um, even play around with time travel, maybe. Um, like that other cool, really, really cool thing I told you before about how they're actually from the future and they teleport it back to avoid, you know, annihilation and extinction. Maybe play around with kind of time travel, things like that. I think that could be really cool. Um, those are just some ideas I had just for, you know, their use in campaign and story. Um, and just before I, I, I end this episode, close this off, uh, I want to talk about some of my personal experience with the monster. Um, so actually, Mind Flayer was kind of one of the first villains I ever created. Um, back when I started getting back into D&D, &D, right, I, I bought a couple of the 5th edition things. Playing, you know, some one-shots and stuff with my siblings. Didn't do a lot of planning or anything like that. It was just kind of, um, hey, like, let's just play D&D &D right now. So we just did. 
um, before I started a campaign and, you know, had more of a methodical rhythm, uh, you know, spent more time planning and stuff like that. Uh, for my birthday, I invited some of my friends and all their dads um, to play D&D. Uh, you know, I learned enough to play a thing. Uh, I spent a couple hours planning for this little one-shot. And the kind of leading villain in this was a Mind Flayer. Uh, and they were kind of the mastermind of this dungeon that the players were going through. So that was just purely because I was flipping through the monster manual and I saw a Mind Flayer. And I'm like, that looks really, really cool. They're, you know, the description of what they have in the monster manual sounds really awesome. I want to use them. Um, and honestly, that's like a great way to just, uh, you know, really discover some monsters or create some really cool memories. Um, you know, just get inspired. Look over, look around in the monster manual. Look around in the player's handbook. See some art that might inspire you or read some sort of little tidbit of information that gives you an idea um, and just go off of that. So he was kind of like a mind player was like the main villain of this little one shot I ran. Uh, and I didn't really use them again until about halfway through the campaign that I'm running now. Uh, that's kind of coming to a close. We've been playing for two and a half years. Um, there was an encounter uh, kind of at the edge uh, between the Underdark and the surface. And the party was fighting off an army of uh, dark dwarves um, who were all being controlled by mine, uh, like a squadron of mind flayers. So they had to go kill the mind flayers so that the entire army would stop. Kind of like how the Elderbrain controls the colony of mind flayers. Um, but this is more of just kind of a throwaway encounter. Like how I mentioned not to use them. <laughs> uh, like how to not use them uh, earlier. So it didn't really have a lot of meaning uh, in the story, actually. Uh, the Mind Flayers didn't do much. They just kind of fought against them. Um, whatever. I mean, it was kind of an interesting battle, but nothing really happened. Uh, it's not memorable. Um, so having the Mind Flayers in that instance just didn't really add anything to it. Um, that's the only time I've used them in, in, in my main campaign that I'm playing right now. Um, which is a little sad. I kind of regret that because I think they're a really cool monster and I could have used them, you know, a little more, you know, a little more in, in that campaign. But, anywho, that's really all the personal experience I have. I mean, obviously, I know a lot about them. You know, I did a lot of research before this episode. Um, and I, I really do want to explore more. I really, really find them really interesting. Uh, you know, they're one of the, one of the first D&D monsters I found intriguing, uh, that I found cool, and I would love to use them more in the future. You know, maybe even use them as the BBEG, like I said, use them as the main villains. Um, I don't know, maybe even create them as a playable race. I don't know, I just, I think Mind Flayers are just really, really cool. I just love all the, the you know, the concepts they came up for them. You know, just the random piece of information, like how they reproduce and, you know, how they, like, eat brains. Like, I just think that that's really interesting. Um, a lot of creative energy has clearly like been spent on Mind Flayers. I think they're a really unique, really interesting monster. Uh, and they were just an obvious first choice for me, uh, you know, for this first Monster Monday. Okay, guys, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Um, that was kind of a long one. Um, there's a lot to get into there. But hopefully I inspired you. Hopefully you learned something. Uh, I really like... Uh, these Monster Monday things. Um, I had a lot of fun, you know, researching about this and planning for this episode. Um, there's tons of other cool monsters I really want to get into and show you guys uh, in the future. So look out for these, uh, hopefully every Monday. Um, I'll be uh, spotlighting a different monster. But, um, yeah. I really enjoyed making this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and have a great day. <laughs>